0: and her family, but for everyone who comes into contact with her. So um, I'd just love to pray for you, if that's okay, before you start. And then I'm just going to hand the night over to Brie and let her take us wherever she wants to take us to. Okay? Yeah. So Father, I thank you for Brie. God, I thank you for, first of all, your faithfulness to her, your faithfulness in every moment and every step of the way that continues right up until today, God. And I thank you for her faithfulness to you. And God, for her, um, just determination to hold on to you through all the trials and all the highs and the lows of her life. So God, would you come right now, Holy Spirit, come and fill her up. Lord, I just thank you that she has spent time, poured hours and hours over this book and over these words because she wants to point other people to you in her journey. So would you come right now, bring peace upon her or give her your words to say. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place.
1: Okay, so this is going to be the hard part, because I know so many of you so well. (laughs) I was like, uh, I might actually just end up crying, and that's all I might get out. Hopefully not, (laughs) but I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for allowing me to come back and um, take this evening to share this journey in a little bit more depth with all of you. I know so many of you um, held my hand as we walked it anyway. Yes, like that. So I'm going to pretend I'm on, like, The X Factor or The Voice. And (laughs) don't worry, I'm not going to start singing. (laughs) Um, But I just do want to thank you because um, I feel like this book partially wouldn't happen if it wouldn't have been for so many of you carrying me through it and praying for me and um, protecting me in the midst of it and protecting Brian. And uh, our boys are just proof of the miracles that can come from prayer. Uh, So I would like to encourage you with that tonight as well. Uh, But I am going to pray as well because I need to pray to center myself. (laughs) So if you want to join with me again, (laughs) that would be great. Um, Holy Spirit, I just invite you into this place right now. I know that you're already here, and I just ask right now for specific words for each of these women tonight, wherever they are at, whether they are struggling with infertility, whether they know somebody, whether they are just wrestling with a different type of pain in their own life. Father, we invite you into those places. We invite you into the crevices of our hearts. And we say, have your way. Yes, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. We love you. Amen. Hello. My name is Brianna, and I have infertility. I have struggled with infertility for nine years. I have lived it, ate it, breathed it, and became it. I have overeaten, drank too much because of it, and been furious more times than I can count because of it. Infertility is always with me. Everywhere I go, it's there, creeping and lurking in the shadows. This is how I actually wanted to start introducing myself, like I was in an Infertility Anonymous group, because as much as I tried to not let it define me, it did. I was that girl who would make a great mom, but it probably wouldn't happen for me. I was the person who friends were sad for when Mother's Day came and went. I was the person who many people had lost faith for. How hard this must be for you, they would say, and they were right. It was hard. It was really, really, really hard. Over time, my skin grew thick. I learned ways of coping, which helped me to be more resilient. Hello. My name is Brianna, and I have infertility. So most of you who know me know that my husband and I moved to Dungannon in 2004. We were kind of still, I would say we were like newlyweds, (laughs) kind of that really icky little couple that's just so lovey, Um, but we were living this adventure, and we had felt God call us to Northern Ireland, and we had finally made it, and it was so exciting, and I think Um, When I got married, I hadn't planned on, like, when we were going to start having a family. I think I just expected that we would, and I think that's like a lot of people, when you get married, it kind of is just, like, ticking the boxes. You just think, okay, we get married, get a few things set up, and then we'll start having our family. So when the time came that we felt we were ready, we started trying, and um, we tried for about a year, and started thinking, maybe something isn't working or maybe it's not right or maybe we just don't know how to time this thing right (laughs) so um, we made an appointment uh, with a doctor in Belfast and she basically told us that we would not be able to get pregnant on our own outside of IVF Um, she told me I had PCOS and um, she was a lovely doctor but her bedside manner was not as lovely (laughs) Uh, to say it politely and I got really angry. I, um, and if you know me, you know that I can be very stubborn when I want to be. <laughs> and I got really stubborn, and I just went away from that appointment um, really angry and really sad, but also determined to prove her wrong. I was uh, ready to go and just try anything and everything to make it happen and to show her that we could do this without her help. So we started trying different types of treatment. We started trying herbal supplements. We, uh, for Brian and for me, I remember uh, Brian has a really bad gag reflex, um, so it's really funny because I remember us standing in the kitchen, us staying in more cottages, and we had like our pills lined up, and he had like 12 and I had 20. Well, I would just like knock mine back, you know, really quickly and easily, and he would be sitting there like individually, <laughs> like everyone so, you know, there was moments like that where I found great joy. Because um, I'm a very kind wife. <laughs> but uh, So we took all these different supplements. We tried clean eating. So we removed um, sugar and caffeine and alcohol from our diet and tried to, re, you know, just cook really healthy. Um, we tried reflexology. We uh, tried specific pills that were supposed to be um, like the magic bullet. And everybody that had taken this pill had gotten pregnant. So we were next. and. And I even, I remember at one point, (laughs) I bullied a locum doctor who didn't know our story and hadn't like journeyed with us, but I like bullied him into prescribing me Clomid, which is really smart, (laughs) don't do it. Um, And that didn't go so well. That kind of led me into a period of um, depression because my body did not like it. Uh, And after a while, we just kind of realized, okay, this doesn't seem to be happening. And I just remember in that, in those kind of first five years of our journey, just feeling so desperate, um, just feeling like if we could just find the right thing, if we could just do this one thing, um, we would get pregnant, like it would happen and it would be easy. And um, if we just relaxed enough, or if maybe if we went on one more holiday, and or maybe if we just reduced stress in our lives, just trying to, you know, you just grasp at straws, you're just trying to any way to cope really Um, and it felt like there was a lot of striving and in the midst of that um, I know one of the things that added to my depression was uh, suppressing my anger at God Um, how could this good God that I serve um, withhold such a good gift what had I done that was so wrong that you wouldn't allow me to have a family to have children I mean, I remember specifically a coffee date that Michelle and I went on in this period. And I was like, am I just telling people a bunch of lies? Like, am I just living this big lie? I'm telling people God is good and look at what my life is like. And it was a really fun conversation. (laughs) Um, And I also remember during that time, like, not wanting to come to church because it was just too painful. Um, I wanted to, like, arrive late and I wanted to leave early. And I'm pretty sure I glared at Jason numerous times um, during his talks, like, to make me worship God, and I dare you to make me believe that he is good, and uh, I just, I was really pleasant, obviously, it was just a delight, (laughs) but um, I think after a while, it really made me realize that um, I didn't feel like I could actually be angry at God, so as I had been trying to suppress that anger, it became really apparent to me that I had some serious, faulty beliefs, and that as a Christian, I didn't think that maybe allowed us to be angry um, I didn't think that God allowed us to be sad um, that if we had this hope that we proclaimed to have that we should just be happy all the time and that life should be good all the time and if it wasn't then like obviously we were doing it wrong which was really untrue um, so we in the midst of that we decided okay this is not working Let's go back to our GP and see if we can get put back on the waiting list for treatment. And she hadn't taken our name off the list. I think she uh, had some foresight to see that we would probably be back. And we got to the top of the list quite quickly. And we went in January 2010 and had our first round (coughs) of treatment and injections and all the rest and lovely things. (laughs) <laughs> if you have gone through infertility or, or know somebody, you just basically become a pincushion, and your body is really tender, and your emotions are all over the place. Um, but I remember Brian had a ski trip planned, and he was gone, and I was at work when um, my period started. Um, and I just remember standing in the bathroom, and I just started, like, shaking and sobbing and just thinking, this can't happen. The treatment didn't work be happening and I didn't want to come out of the bathroom because I didn't want to tell anyone because Brian was gone and that night was my 30th birthday party and my beautiful lovely friends had organized such a beautiful evening and I remember so many of them being so encouraging and telling me like I really think this is your time I really think this it's going to happen this time as I was sitting there at the table cramping trying to just hold it all in and it was like I divided myself There was, like, the self who was going through this, and I just, like, took her away and, like, put her on a shelf. And I let the other person that was unaffected somehow (laughs) come out that night. And it was a beautiful evening. It was really, really fun. But I remember when I got home, I just collapsed in tears. And as soon as Brian got home from his ski trip, I just, yeah. I was devastated. He was devastated. We just had no way of preparing for it. I think we naively thought... We're young enough. We're healthy. We're fit. This is going to be easy, and it wasn't. Um, so, on that trip, I, the next like I think the next week, to make up for him being gone, he took me over to London to see Phantom of the Opera. It was one of my dreams. I was that annoying person in my university who would sing the soundtrack down the halls. <laughs> um, hi, Rachel. <laughs> Uh, but it was really sweet because at the time, we kind of just drew a line in the sand and we said, okay, enough crying, enough tears for this round. Um, And in that chat, we also said, someday, if we do manage to get pregnant, which we hoped we would, that we would share our story in a book. Um, So that was the first kind of planting of the seed. Come the summer, we had three embryos left that were frozen. Uh, We had kind of, thought, okay, maybe let's do it. We don't want to leave them frozen for too long. We went into the, tr- the, the second round of transfer. Um, I think we were more hopeful even. I think we felt like a little bit wiser. Like, okay, we know what to expect. Um, the procedure was going to be easier because I didn't have to inject my body with anything. My hormones weren't going to be out of whack. I had gone into hyperstimulation the first time and everything was swollen and bloated and this time I didn't have to do that. So we just thought Okay, we're in a much better position, and the transfer went much smoother because they had mapped out my womb. First time they rammed the transfer uh, needle into my uterus, which was lovely. <laughs> but this time it just was—it su- was really super simple, and it felt so easy. And um, again, we had hope, but I think everybody else around us, again, hope was rising, and we just thought, "Yeah, this is going to happen." And I remember so many times saying, "God, when we get pregnant, would you?" please, Please speak to me in a dream. Because I think he does speak to us in dreams, and I still believe that. Um, but that morning, I woke up from a dream that we had taken the test that morning and it was positive. And I think I was just like, oh, it's happening. He's spoken. It's going to be a positive. Went into the bathroom and took the test and it was negative. Um, and I remember standing on the steps of our door, of our front step, and just collapsing into Brian and we. Gathered all of our things and we went straight up to the North Coast. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to talk to anyone. And that round felt significantly more full of sorrow. Um, I think the emotional toll of the first failed transfer just came up again and it felt like we were reliving a nightmare. And I remember um, reading a lot of books, I remember watching a lot of movies while we were up there, because as soon as I stopped doing anything that was dra- like distracting me, I just started sobbing. <laughs> I would just like uncontrollable sobs. Um, and it was just too much. I remember going down to one of the rocks at Port Ballantrae, and I put in my headphones, and my brother-in-law, who's a, a sweet, sweet man, he had written a song for Brian and I, and I put the song in my ears, and I just started sobbing on the rocks. And I just said, God, I can't do it anymore. I'm done. I'm just done. So at that point, um, we decided to take a break. I just said, it's not going to happen. I can't keep going. I can't keep doing this. The emotional roller coaster. um, Having Brian watch me go through it was really hard because I think Husbands don't know what to do with their wives when they cry all the time. (laughs) Um, And he's an amazing man, an amazing husband, and he was a great support. But it's really hard to watch your spouse go through something that you can't fix. Um, So in those years after, I feel like God started to kind of turn a tide. And I remember one night Brian told me he was going to a staff meeting uh, because he was working for the church at that point for BCD. And come to find out, I think it was actually a prayer meeting for me or turned into that because people knew that I wasn't doing well. And um, I didn't know that that was happening. I probably would have been angry and told them to knock it off if I did because I was just grumpy. Uh, But that evening, I remember reading um, a chapter in Pete Gregg's book, God on Mute. And if you haven't read it, it's an incredible book. I highly recommend it. It's on the, the list of resources. Um, just addressing the silence of unanswered prayers. Um, and all of us, no matter what stage or season of life you are in, will I think we all will have experienced at some point some type of unanswered prayer. Um, but I remember reading through the first chapter, and he just said, uh, do you believe God is good? And I just remember shouting and screaming, no, I do not believe you are good. I said that to God (laughs) and I remember just clearly feeling him like quicken in my spirit and say good you are finally being honest now we can start and there's a poem in the book where it talks about um don't mistake God's silence for absence and that was one of those things that I think was a faulty belief that when God was being silent when he wasn't giving me an immediate answer Um, that I thought he was absent and it was so far from that because I think any of us when you get to a certain point in a relationship or a friendship the silence that you have with somebody is actually like the sign of intimacy and it's the sign that you are most comfortable with that person that you don't have to try to be anything you aren't that you don't have to fill the silence I didn't have to pray a million prayers I didn't have to quote a million scripture verses. I just had to be in his presence. And he was silent, but he was definitely present, not absent. Um, and in that point, it started. things started to turn. I feel like there was like a fog that lifted that night. Um, and I started uh, this practice, and it's in my book. I call it an active practice because it's something you do daily, um, sometimes second by second. But I remember there was a time where I would just get so mad when I would see a pregnant woman. I just wanted to, like, go up and push her over. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that sounds so cruel and that sounds so mean, but, like, the things that you think when you want to be pregnant and you have been trying for so hard, your mind does do crazy things. There was, like, a baby at Craig Gavin that was born on St. Patty's Day, and I kept thinking, how can I steal this baby? Because it didn't, like, it was, I think, going into foster care, and I thought, get there I could find that baby I could bring it home <laughs> I mean just crazy crazy things your mind does weird things um, but I remember thinking you know what when I like think that I want to kick that pregnant woman <laughs> or push her over I'm in a way I'm cursing her huh that's not so good and the funny thing is is she doesn't know I'm doing it but I do and it's not affecting her but it's affecting me, so I started realizing that I had a choice, that I could either curse or bless, Um, and I think this is true in so many situations in life where it's painful, Um, and I started choosing to bless the pregnant women that I saw. I started choosing to bless their babies. I started to choose to pray health over their babies. Sometimes it was through gritted teeth. I remember walking into Newell stores one time, and it was like, bump, 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 everywhere I looked. Every woman in the store, I swear, was pregnant. And I was like, I bless you, and I bless you, and I bless you, and I bless you too. And it was just like, "Mm -hmm." but I bless you. So, I mean, it wasn't always pretty, (laughs) and it didn't always look nice, but it was a choice. And I'm saying choices are not always easy to make, but we still have a choice to make. and, it is, again, it started helping me realize, too, those faulty beliefs that I had kind of cultivated that I didn't even know that I think sometimes we do cultivate in our relationship with God and we don't have to address it until something like this happens where I kind of think I thought San- like God was like Santa. <laughs> like if I was a good girl, if I did everything right, God would bring me a present on Christmas morning. God would give me a baby. So I just had to be really good. Really, really good. And he would give me the gift that I was asking for on my list. God doesn't work that way. He gives us way more than we ever ask for. And he gives us what we need. Not always what we want. But he gives us what we need when we need it. And I do believe that wholeheartedly. He also um, really challenged my belief of why do I serve God? Uh, I think. Deep down, all of us would admit that part of why we serve God is because He does give us good things. Do you think? That we believe that He is going to make our life better, and He does. That He is going to make our life easier in some ways, and He does. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is that we choose to love God because He first loved us. And we choose to love Him because of who He is and because of His character not because of what he does, but because he saves us from ourselves and he saves us from the things that are tearing us apart. Um, And I think it took me a long time to realize that that was part of why I was serving him, was I was serving him for his favor, not for his face. Um, And that was a big, like, awakening kind of (laughs) in why I served him. So it was a really good addressing of a faulty belief. Um, And I actually, at this point, I would like my friend Molly to come up. I don't want to breeze over the fact that we lost those embryos. Those were babies that I did grieve. Um, But we never had a pregnancy test at that point. We never had a positive. We just knew we had the potential of a positive. But my friend Molly is one of the people who came on this journey to grab my arm and make sure I get back on the airplane to America. Um, (laughs) She was insurance sent by Brian. (laughs) Um, But Molly has actually gone through two miscarriages, and she did have that positive test. And I want to acknowledge that tonight, that that's a different kind of loss. It's all loss, and it's all grief, and it's all pain. But I really wanted her to speak into that point, because I think there might be somebody here or more than one person who has experienced a miscarriage, and I want you to be encouraged tonight too.
2: Thank you. Um, I've known Bree since university, and I am very proud to wear the badge of Molly's American friend or Bree's American friend when I'm here. So thank you, f- just all of you, for welcoming me with such open arms, and uh, it's just been wonderful. But. Um, My story actually starts when I was a little girl. Um, My parents had me and then struggled with secondary infertility for about six years. And I was old enough to remember all of that um, and remember all the labs, all the doctor's appointments, my mom just in agony and grief, and my parents just grieving over three miscarriages and four lost babies. Um, And so they really decided that, okay, this is where um, God wants us, one fantastic child. Um, and so they stopped trying, and they got pregnant with my sister, and they got pregnant with my brother. And I thought, oh, such a great story. My parents' story is an incredible story of God's testament. So when I got married, um, and we decided to start a family, we got pregnant with our our first, and he's uh, wonderful. Um, and then we got pregnant again. And um, I remember going in for my uh, eight week scan and I had been feeling sick up until that point, but I didn't feel sick that morning. And I was like, oh, it's good. I'm just, you know, it's a good day. I've got all this figured out and I'm not feeling sick. But in the back of my head was this, huh, I I don't feel sick. That's not necessarily the right thing. But it can be different for everybody. Um, And I just remember thinking, that's not my story. So we went into the scan. You know and it, we were chatting and it was happy and I'm a nurse and so I've seen a fair amount of scans and so I knew and I'd had a baby before so I knew what I was looking for um, and uh, she put the wand on my belly and this fantastic outline of a head and arms and legs was there but in the middle there was nothing there was no heartbeat and there becomes this like deafening quiet but it's loud quiet in the room Um, and I had tears streaming down my face and um, the tech then walks you to this room as you walk through this office with all of these bumps surrounding you and I'm trying to hold it together because I just want to cry out and just scream at God Um, and I think looking back I was really angry because I said this wasn't supposed to be me Um, and I felt dead inside And uh, I felt like I was rotting from the inside out, and I had no words for God. Because like Bree, I was raised in a home where God was a good God. And I think it was sort of the Santa Claus effect, that if I asked and if I did all the right things, then he would give me what I wanted. Um, And he had just taken that away. And, um, you know, you just have people in your life that in moments like that you want to call them and you want them to say the right words so I called my mom because she'd been through this and what she said to me was are you sure and I wanted to say of course I'm sure and I nearly wanted to hang up because that's not what I wanted to hear in that moment her heart was in the right place but that was not what I needed to hear and people you know I think in moments of loss and um, of hurt people just want to say the right things and I think sometimes just being there, like Brie was saying, just being there in the quiet or saying I'm sorry or showing up with whatever sappy movie or chocolate or that sort of thing, um, that was really fed my soul. I actually had friends come and get my other kiddo and just take him away to play, and they brought dinner, and there were no words exchanged. Um, and so uh, I had a DNC and I was like, all right, all right, I can do this. I, I can, this is this is going to be fine. And so we got pregnant again. But the fear and the anxiety of that second pregnancy was deafening. But it was also faith-building because I just chose to just choose faith and choose God. Um, and we were blessed with another second son. Um, and then we got pregnant one more time, and it was like, okay, uh, all right, we can do three, and I had talked myself into it, and then about a week later, I started bleeding, and that pregnancy and miscarriage brought up a whole n- new level of grief, and a whole new level of, cr- of just real darkness and real anger, um, and I didn't have anything to say to God, and I had, it was a long time before I really felt like I could say anything to him, But as I was praying to share with you, um, I just really feel like God just, you know, once with healing, part of sharing with you is my healing. Um, Because it's this welcome to this club you never wanted to be a part of. And it's knowledge of how you can help walk a friend through that. Um, A miscarriage, a loss, infertility, a loss or a death of a dream. Um, but also it's that God, God can handle your big anger, your emotions. He can handle you saying, this is awful. This is terrible. And while even while I felt like I was so angry, and then uh, there's all this shame around that. It's not shame. God just wants you to just be at his feet, and he wants you to be just seeking his face. And you can say all the bad things you want to say, and he's going to take it, and he's going to love you through that. And when he wasn't speaking to me, I just know that he was just right there with me, just like my dear neighbors who came and dropped off food and wine and said nothing. God was just right there. And looking back in that, I can see that. Um, But also, I think um, God just also is so gracious in that as well because um, he's always really spoken to me in worship, and I was um, not in a great place. Um, but was worshiping at church, and, you know, normally I raise my hands, and, but I just, I didn't, I didn't have it in me. So I was closing my eyes and just trying, trying to be in the moment and trying to seek his face, and um, I got a picture. Um, and this picture was significant in that with, ev- with both of my sons, um, I had the picture of carrying my sons up to the foot of Jesus and laying them down and walking away because ultimately they're his first. And um, so in this picture that I got um, was Jesus on the throne and he's sitting on the throne and he's got two babies in his arms that were the ages that my miscarriages would have been and they were waving at me and they were saying, we're okay, mom. And it was just like balm for my soul. It was this God seeing me and my hurt and my pain and that those babies mattered and that those babies are mine and they are in heaven with my heavenly father and um, I'll get to see him one day. Um, You know, and I think it's not something I ever would want to go through, but um, it's just it's now I can use it just to help others and, um, you know, I think Bree was just in all of her graciousness as I walked through this, she listened and she and Brian came over probably about two weeks after our first miscarriage and I was just, how do I tell her? And I just, you know, but she's one of my Friends that's family and a best friend. And so I told her, and she sobbed with me. And then we were driving in the car, all four of us, and I told Brian, and we all sobbed, all four of us, and that, you know. And then she came over and, and saw my kids after they were born, like within weeks. She gave my oldest son his first bottle, and to know what she was going through and that she loved my kids with a real love. And here she is holding my first baby. And just pouring out on him and loving out on him, just I think that helped give me strength. And um, just, you know, she's just an amazing friend. And I know so many of you know that. So that's my story. Thank you.
1: Thank you, you, Molly, for being brave. Um, I think any time we share the pain that we go through, um, it requires bravery, and it requires courage. Welcome. <laughs> and, and going through a miscarriage is no easy thing, as Molly knows and as some of you might know. Uh, but let's move forward. So after that second round failed, uh, and God began, I would say, I don't know, Changing the point of view, changing the perspective, um, I threw myself into a lot of things. I, Along with the active practice of choosing to bless people, I started choosing to see the benefits of my life without children, which some days I really didn't want to. I All I wanted was kids. Um, but if a friend had a baby that had been up all night um, crying or being sick or something, I would say, well, I got a great night's sleep. I didn't want that great night's sleep, but I tried to thank God for it anyway. Um, I took it as a time to focus on other things that I felt God had called me to, because I think when you have infertility, it feels like that area of your life, somebody has just gone, pause, and you just see everybody moving forward. And I didn't want the rest of my life to feel like somebody had pushed pause. Um, So... I ran my first marathon. I learned to play the guitar. Um, Jason and Michelle kindly let me open the press. (laughs) I remember having the conversation with Carol when we came up with the name. Um, And these were other dreams that I had. And I think God began reminding me, you have a dream of being a mom, and that's not happening right now, but I put other dreams in you too. And you can pursue those dreams right now. And it just, it almost felt like this little, um, almost like a little necklace or something, like just this little token treasure that was like a secret between us where I felt like he said, I see you, I see you. Um, And if you've gone through infertility or know somebody, that's one of the hardest things that I struggled with was do you see me, God? Do you really see me? Do you see all these tears? Do you see all this heartbreak? Do you see all this pain? And it was in those moments where I felt like he just kept whispering, I see you. Um, and we, we decided after we had been here a decade that we wanted to kind of reevaluate. We felt like our jobs were coming to a natural close and um, we wanted to invest in our families. We didn't want them thinking we had ran away from them <laughs> to Northern Ireland for 10 years because we didn't like them, uh, which was not true. We loved them and we loved our times with them, so we chose to go back to the States and invest in them. And in those, in those few, first few weeks, um, our plan was to be there about three, four months maybe. Um, and it wasn't on the agenda to go through another round of fertility treatment. Um, I don't think either of us thought we were ready for that. <coughs> but within the first few weeks, I just felt a real urge, a real sense that um, I think we should try. And we reconnected. Brian was in Alaska, and I was in Idaho, and I flew up to meet him. And we were sitting on his mom's deck and we just said, okay, let's look at the past 10 years. Let's evaluate everything that's happened. What is still a desire and a longing in our hearts? And we both couldn't deny the fact that we still wanted to try for a family. So we contacted a clinic in Idaho where I was from and the ball just began rolling. Um, Family and friends joined with us um, both through prayer and through financial support, and Brian's mom released inheritance money to us, and we were able to cover the full cost of the treatment. And in America, that's not cheap. But it felt like all these people who had been carrying us emotionally um, continued to carry us. And it just felt so peaceful. It felt so different than the first two times that we had done transfers and gone through the treatment. Those times felt like we were desperately like, Grabbing at things like, just come on, just please, just please. But this time, it was just peace. Um, And I think it was partially because in those next few years before that point, we really began to pursue God and His face. We weren't looking for just the product of His favor, we were actually just looking for Him. And that's what we found. We found Him, we found His grace, we found His presence. And I remember the night before we went in for the transfer, Um, or for the egg collection, I think, and I remember Brian and I laying in bed, and we just started chatting. I don't even know what it was about, and then we started laughing, and we just couldn't stop laughing, and it was just so different than the times before. The times before had felt so tense. I was so nervous. I struggled to sleep, and that night, it was like just joy and peace, and we knew that we had done this, and if it didn't work, we would be okay because we had God. I know that didn't mean it was going to be easy if it didn't work. That didn't mean we wouldn't sob and we wouldn't be devastated again. But we knew that we would be okay, and that was a great place to be at. <laughs> um, so we had the transfer, and this time, another gift that God gave us during that time was that we were with family, Because we had been here the first two times, our family had to grieve from a distance. And that was so hard for any of you moms out there to watch a child go through this, whether it's your son or your daughter. That's really hard. And I remember I was not so receptive to anything that either of our moms wanted to say to us. (laughs) Um, I was not very gracious during those times. I didn't want to hear anything that they had to say. And all they could do was pray for us, which was really valuable and what we needed um so we went in we had the transfer and then we held our breath <laughs> uh, and we just we just walked through those next kind of 10 days kind of a little bit like what do you do now um it's always the weird weight that you don't know what to do because you can't rush it and it feels so slow but yet you're like diagnosing every little move of your body you're like was that gas, or was that a bubble, or was that, in, oh, is my boob sore, or did I just bump something? I mean, you just you, everything, your mind is like, <laughs> going overdrive. Um, we went over for bloods one day, they have you come back the next day. They don't tell you anything at that point, so you're just sitting there, like, waiting and waiting. You're like, okay, we're going to see you tomorrow. All right, bye. Come back the next day, and they took the Second round of Bloods. And they said, okay, we'll call you sometime today. We're really busy. You'll probably not hear from us until about five or six tonight. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? It felt like, oh my gosh, we've waited this long and now you're torturing me with more time. Okay. So we thought, well, sure, let's just go fill the day with fun stuff. So we went to a coffee shop, one of my favorites in my little hometown. And we sat down with our coffee and the phone rang. I was like, we are like, no, no, like it shouldn't be them. I'm like, it is. So we're like, okay. So we answer it. We're like, is this a good time to talk? And immediately, like, because of the past, you're thinking, something's wrong. That's too quick. So we stepped out of the coffee shop because it was super noisy loud and bustling. She's like, are you ready for your results? And we were like, what? We were just there 45 minutes ago. And they're like, yeah, we know, we know. I'm like, oh uh, yeah, we're ready. So we got really quiet, held the phone out on speakerphone, looked at each other, and then she just said, "You're gonna be a mommy and daddy." And at that point, everything just stopped. It was like the world stood still. It was the first positive that we had ever had in nine years. We had never had one positive pregnancy test. And like, trust me, there had been a lot of tests taken. <laughs> It was the first bit of tangible evidence that we had that we might actually have a family. And it was just the most joyful, surreal experience. And we just stood there and cried and hugged each other and said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, goodbye, and just clicked. And then we had this beautiful secret nobody else knew. Nobody else in our families knew. Nobody knew. We had tons of people here waiting to know what was going on. Our families were all waiting we kept it to ourselves for like 45 minutes. And I remember, I know, I know, you know me, I cannot keep secrets. (laughs) Especially when it's like Christmas time and yeah, it's bad. Um, But we kept it to ourselves for a whole 45 minutes and we went to an Urban Outfitters and I remember we were walking down the aisles and like he kind of went to the men's clothing and I went to the women's clothing we'd just be looking and we'd like. (laughs) I mean, it just was that moment of like, we have amazing secret and nobody else knows and then we went to a target and connected to wi-fi and called like all of our family and told everybody (laughs) well on his side and then we told my family that night Um, and then we told everybody in northern ireland like at midnight Uh, and stayed up till about three in the morning having all these lovely conversations but it was the first time that we actually had tangible evidence that something might be coming and then on valentine's day they brought me in for a two-week test afterwards to see if both embryos had taken. And on Valentine's Day, we saw two wee embryos and, like, two wee faint heartbeats. And my mom was there with me because Brian had gone back to Alaska, and her and I just held hands. And we just cried. And the whole clinic was so sweet. They were like, this is the best Valentine's Day gift ever. (laughs) And I was like, I know. Like what a lovely thing to show love is like, two embryos. Oh, my gosh. So uh, it was just so beautiful in that moment. It just felt like another little gift to have it on Valentine's Day. I mean, it's just a holiday, I know. But it just felt like this wee gift from God, like, here's my gift to you. Um, and I, I saw you, and here it is. Uh, so we got on the plane and came back to Northern Ireland. And... Um, It was a beautiful pregnancy. It was lovely. Outside of getting my appendix out at 16 weeks, that was not so lovely. My husband's compassion in that moment was not so lovely. He's like, oh, I had this this summer. It's really bad. You feel like you're dying, right? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. He's like, I think I'm going to go sleep next door because I don't want to get it. (laughs) So he went and slept next door at our neighbor's. uh, And I laid on the couch in pain and eventually went and found out, oh, yeah, I needed to get my appendix out. Uh, which another friend had happened to her too (laughs) but which I didn't even know you could have a thing like that happen when you're pregnant Um, but it was just in that moment during um, like before they like wheeled me in for surgery I just remember having such a peace that I knew was only from God because I thought we wouldn't get this far without him these are his anyway these babies are his they're just gifts from him they're just on loan to me Um, And I just went into the surgery a little bit nervous because I knew I was going under anesthesia and they were going to cut me open, but I just was like, well, it's either this or none of us live, so so I think we'll do it. (laughs) So we came out, and it was all fine, and went on bed rest, and then on the 1st of September, Hadron and Cohen were born via sunroof. (laughs) And it was just, yeah, I, I mean, I can't even describe the undone feeling of seeing my own babies, of holding them in my hands, and looking at their hands, and yeah, it just felt like all the years, it was like, God said, this is my double portion for your sorrow, this is my double portion of abundance, and I know, I'm not saying that that will be everyone's story, but that's what it felt like to me, it felt like what the years that the enemy took, I'm just giving you back, and the things that he stole from you, I'm giving you double. Um, It was just incredible. Um, And I think not everybody has to write a book about their journey through their pain. But for me, I wanted to do it partly because, like, the selfish reason is that it was really cathartic. I mean, I cried floods and floods and floods of tears through writing this, and it was just healing, just going through it over and over and over again. But the other part was, I think, We struggle to make sense of our pain, whatever kind of pain it is. And when we share our stories, it brings purpose to the pain when that pain and sharing that story helps somebody else. And that's why it's so important to share our stories. Like I said, you don't have to write a book. You don't have to do it on social media. But if you have a friend that's going through something hard, you can share what's hard in your life too. And that is like that vulnerable place where people can meet each other And it's the honest friendship (laughs) um, that you need. And I wanted also, for people who do struggle with infertility or are struggling or who have, I wanted to validate their feelings because there's so many things that you go through with infertility that make you feel like such a crap person. You don't like yourself. You don't like your attitude. You don't like what it does to your heart. But it's pretty normal. Um, It becomes your 24-7 job. You can't stop thinking about it. No matter what your work is, your dreams are filled with it. Um, It makes you angry. It affects your marriage. It affects your relationships with people. Um, It does affect your work, and it can affect your health. Um, And I wanted people to know that all the things that go along with it, that that's okay. You can be honest where you are, and you can be honest in sharing that. Um, And it's not your responsibility to necessarily determine how people are going to respond to it, but you need to be honest. And then you need to actually be willing to like accept <laughs> that people that it might shock people and that it might uh, ruffle some feathers. But that's where that like honest, open communication comes into play, and where the true relationships begin. And I wanted for those people who haven't gone through it to maybe have a little bit more understanding or grace for people who were going through it, because it is really hard. If you were the person who like blinked and got pregnant, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine having a negative pregnancy test. That's not been my story. So I wanted to help people understand that it's not always that simple, that it's not always that easy. And if that person who is struggling maybe is not wanting to come over and hold your baby, that that's okay. And to not take it personally, um, that they'll get there hopefully. But for the church, I think the reason I wanted to write it was we have to learn how to really walk out the verse of, like, rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. If you're living your best life, if you are like, I have my family, I've got everything I ever want, and maybe there's a single girl who's like, I want all of that. And you're going, oh, I'm just so happy, and this person is over here crying because they don't have that. It's it's really hard to, like, go, oh, okay, I don't know what that feels like but I'm going to sit with you in that place anyway. I'm going to still include you in my life. And equally for the person who's maybe just had a miscarriage after a failed round of treatment, um, to actually congratulate somebody on their pregnancy, that's equally hard. When you are mourning and when you have had a dream die, to be able to turn around and say, I rejoice with you. I want what you have, but I rejoice with you. And it helps you then begin to identify, I'm not actually mad at you for being pregnant. I'm just frustrated that my own body isn't giving me the longing of my heart. Um, And that's really hard to do. It's really hard to sit with people where they are. But that's what the church does. Um, That's what so many of you did for me. You sat with me in that place of pain. You gave me permission to be angry and upset. You gave me permission to be absent You gave me permission to be present. You gave me permission to come at my own pace and not feel like I had to rush. So I think you've done an amazing job (laughs) and keep doing it. But uh, for those of you who are feeling like, oh, this is actually, I know somebody, you don't have to fix them. You don't have to say the perfect prayer. You don't have to have the perfect verse. Um, Yes, you can tell them you're praying for them, but sometimes those things weren't even that helpful because you knew they couldn't fix it. So don't feel like you have to fix it because you don't. You just have to be present with that person and their pain. One of the things that I have done as we have gone on sharing the book this uh, last week is um, a visualization practice, and I would love to lead you all through it as well because this has been something that has began helping me encounter God in some really um, powerful ways, and I would love to share it with you. So if you would all close your eyes with me and take a few deep breaths. And let yourself just get quiet on the inside. Now for every person in the room, um, I want you to imagine uh, a word that would describe either a painful situation that's in your life or a difficult situation that you're going through. But just pick one word that would kind of um, signify that situation or whatever it is that you're struggling with. And I want you to hold that word in your hand. And I want you to look at it and acknowledge it, then I want you to imagine that there is a table and two chairs in a room. And I want to invite you to come and take a seat at the table. Now take that word that you have picked, and I want you to set it on the table. and I want you to slide it across the table. Now I want you to imagine that Jesus has stepped into the room with you. He is locking eyes with you, and he is walking to the table, and he is sitting down across from you. Now Jesus takes your word, and he puts a different word on the table. If your word is fear, he's going to replace it with faith. If your word is sadness, he's going to replace it with joy. If your word is anger, he's going to replace it with peace. In this moment, you and Jesus are having a holy exchange. Holy Spirit, come into this moment. Take away pain. Take away fear. Take away striving. Take away anger. And replace it with your good gifts. Because you are the father of good gifts. Okay, you can open your eyes. Proverbs thirteen twelve says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And I think some of you maybe have come tonight with hope that has been deferred. That's been the word that has come up continually is hope amidst all of this. And I know why, because this kind of stuff, our pain, it does defer our hope, and it does make our hearts sick when we see our hope shattered. Um, but tonight, whatever the word was that you have brought to the table, I believe that Jesus does want to give you hope as well as whatever else he spoke to you personally. In closing, I just want to read Romans fifteen thirteen, and then I'll pray. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that you see every heart here. And, Father, I thank you for the seeds that you were planting and hearts tonight that will grow up into amazing trees, oaks of righteousness, Father. And, Lord, I thank you for hearts that have been broken, that you are mending. Um, I thank you for hearts that you are holding in your hand that have previously been crushed. I ask that you would breathe new life into each person here. Breathe hope into our hearts again. We love you. We thank you. And we say yes to you tonight, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to pass it back over to Denise. Um, I think there is a ministry time. Um, If anybody wants, there's people here who would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. Um, And please stay as long as you want. Or Michelle.
0: Thank you so much, Bree. That was um, powerful. And you just need to move back. Okay. okay. <laughs> I've already sent your, your husband a message while you were speaking and said, okay, right. okay, it's time to come home. Now, enough of this nonsense. I <laughs> no, I will. I'll send it to your mom later. <laughs> um, that was really powerful. And it's just such a beautiful sense of the Holy Spirit and the Lord in the room. So I just want to create a space. Look, there's no rush away. You can sit and chat here. You can talk where you are, but um, Denise has organized a prayer team. We're going to be around this kind of area here, or actually down the back. There's a bit of space down there. If you want some prayer, If um, I just love that that picture of the Lord taken from us and that divine exchange. And he does that so many times and so lovely. But don't leave this moment. If you had a significant moment with Jesus there. We would love to pray for you. We would just love to stand with you. I loved what Bree talked about, about the greatest gift sometimes we can give people is just to sit with them where they are and not try to fix them, but just sit there. And I think this is a moment for us to stand with you in prayer and just to allow the Lord to continue to do what he's doing. So we would love to do that. So if there's a space down there, if you come down there, we'll pray with you. But meantime, please mingle Um Eat more buns, and uh, also okay. Yep, there's resources here that uh, Bree has recommended that are great. And if you want to take a wee photograph of them, so you can go away, we don't have any of them printed out. But if you want to do that or take a wee note of them, we can highly recommend um, these books. Of course, Brie's book we highly, highly recommend. Let me just show you it. I just like feel like I should. Yep, yeah. book, um, and they're for sale over here. Um, As well, if you want to... um So I'm going to let you just do all that. Okay, thank you very, very much.
3: Trust you just to know you got everything, and you are making me a mountain. You're making me a mountain, you cannot be shaken. You are making me. As the storm rolls in, wondering if my heart will survive it. And the there's a the mess you're in but it's nothing love can Darker the night, the brighter the day, fiercer the fight, the stronger the faith So I place my hope in you. The deeper the sin, the stronger the blood, the more to. Do I place my trust in you? Just Destroy- wait. So keep hope and Saint Francis, you'll be a free man, yeah. You'll see the sun shine. Keep hope and St. Francis, you'll be a free man, yet. Yeah. You'll see the sun shine again over your city. do with you, my love, what shall I do with you, for your loyalty to me, So early, what shall I do with you, my love? You keep bringing me sacrifices to ease your mind, but it's your heart. Sacrifices To ease Your mind But it's your heart It's your mind But it's your heart that I want Destined for divinity, proportion is as pure. Sparkle in her father's crown. Sparkle in her father's eye, kind of like the moon. Sir? So- long. and And I know you don't come as easy as some, but I will watch and pray, I will watch and and pray I will watch and pray and I know